Thank you for great things that you will do this evening. Thank you, Lord, for healings that will take place. Thank you, Lord, for confusion that will live the heart, the life of your people this evening. We'll bless your name, Lord. Lord, we're expectant, even as you send your word to us this evening. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart to give me life and direction in every area. Be more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 And that is what the Lord will do for you today in Jesus' name. The word of healing is coming to you in the name of Jesus. You can believe God for healing for somebody today. person may not be here, it's far away, but believe God for healing. You will experience it. That person will experience it in the name of Jesus Christ. And let's take our seats, the Lord is good. Our school of prayer, and we are going to do some praying today. As we always do, but we like to do some instruction because faith must be boosted for prayer to be effective. It's not just about uttering words in what we call prayer. First, there must be understanding in the heart which boosts faith. So that's why it's good to hear words, to, you know, to have instruction given, to pass in the spirit of faith into us. Let me just say it again. As believers, we don't have any choice. We have to pay attention on a regular basis to the word of God. As believers, we have no choice. That is the source of our life. That is the source of our, you know, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was quoting um, the word of God to Moses. That God, uh, Moses said that God humbled you. He wanted you to understand that man does not live by bread alone. Now, please, let me explain what that means again. Moses was not saying you will look for bread and add egg to it. Do you get my point? He wasn't saying you look for bread and add chicken to it. That's not what he was saying. Of course, we know that that bread meant food. What I'm just trying to say is that he was not saying you take bread and then add the word of God to it. That's not what he meant. What he said is that whatever people get from bread, you can get it from the word of God. There is not bread alone that gives life to somebody. I hope you're getting my point. You know, sometimes people share testimonies with you. Of course, not everything you can sell, but I've seen it again and again. People look for connections. I said it last time. The word of God is living. It's alive. It's alive. It's not, it's not a set of instructions. That's why I compare all the so-called sacred writings of this world. Compare them with the Bible. None of them claim to give life. There's none that will give you the claim that you derive life from this. But here in our scriptures, we see that it said the word of God is alive and active. What it means is that it's a living being. It's not a set of instructions. It appears sometimes like a set of instructions. You know, I saw a man preaching a few days ago. I think it was John Bever. I laughed. John Bever said something that I'd never heard anybody else say, and I've been saying it for more than 20 years. I never, when I first said it, I'm not trying to brag, okay? I'm just trying to say that, you know, the same spirit, you understand? For when I saw it, I said, wow, this spirit is really the same. I've preached this thing for 
I think close to 30 years. But I saw a short clip, you know, on Twitter yesterday, in which John Bever said the same thing. He was explaining the relationship between um, uh, mercy and grace. Now, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus. The word of God is a word of grace. You know, Paul said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I hope you're getting my point. The word of God produces grace. What is grace? Now, you've heard me say this before. If I've listened to me long enough, but I want to give what John Bever said. I'm doing my hand like because I did his hand like that. So unconsciously, <laughs> so my hand. <laughs> the same place I use for my own illustrations. The same place. In fact, if one of you preached that message, I will assume you took it from what I said. Well, of course, I assume John Bever doesn't know me, doesn't listen to me, okay? But this is the truth, all right? That what he said is the truth. He, he picked it from the same place. The woman caught in the act, the act, the act of adultery. That's same, and that's the one I've been using a lot of times. He said, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. He said, that is mercy. Then go and sin no more. He said, that is grace. That it wasn't just giving him advice. That it was empowering her. It wasn't giving her advice. He was empowering her not to sin anymore. And I smiled. I've said that thing for almost 30 years. First time I'm hearing somebody else say it who, did, who had never listened to me. I heard it yesterday. I just smiled to myself. I said, Father, thank you. This word is really true. This word is true. And that is the truth about it. Grace is what the word brings. It's alive. What is grace? The empowerment to do that which is right. Grace is not, oh, I don't know how this happened in my life. Oh, well, thank God. That is true, but that's not what grace is really trying to portray. What grace is, says is that you could not do it. God released his power because you agreed with him. It's called faith. You couldn't do it, so God released his power. So that power has to be constantly released into our lives, and that is through the word of God. So, as I was saying, the believer has no choice but to pay attention to it. So Moses said, and Jesus quoted it, it's not just by, you know, bread that you get life. The person who fasted the longest in the Bible is Moses. And please, Moses never broke the fast. It wasn't like he would he won't eat during the day and eat in the evening. For 80 days nonstop, Moses neither ate nor drank. I used to say it was 40 days until a few weeks ago. I just realized that, no, 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 it was 80 days. 40 days on the mount. 40 days in the camp of Israel. Now, you don't do such thing because you're a disciplined faster. Is that a new invention? I suspect so. You don't do that because you're a disciplined faster. Or you have so trained yourself in fasting. Listen, you will dry. You know what they call dry? You will turn to parchment. They will use your skin as papyrus to write. How, what sustained Moses is the power of God. Let me drop it again. So please, eh, don't fast with, with struggle. I, I discussed it last time. Don't struggle to fast. Don't confess, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. If you are hungry, bros, you are hungry. Hunger is not a sin. I hope you're getting my point. You don't use prayer to put hunger under. You use food to put hunger under. I hope you're getting my point. Don't compare yourself with Moses. Listen, I'm sorry. I, I know modern day testimonies. Some man said he fasted for 40 days. I said, did you fast for 40 days? You were breaking in the evening. You want to be like Moses? Go without food and water for 40 days. No, don't try 80. Just 40. You want to be like Elijah? 40 days. 
No food, no water. You want to be like Jesus Christ, try the same thing. But none of these people did that by personal determination. Not one. Elijah did not say, I will not eat for 40 days and 40 nights. What happened was that after this and that, you know, you know the story, the angel told him, oh yeah, eat, the journey is long. Fed him two rounds of food. The Bible says he went in the strength of that meal, or those two rounds, 40 days. Whether I drank water in the wilderness at the oasis, we don't know. But we know he didn't, he didn't eat again. It was not his strength. Angel fed him the power of the spirit. I hope you're getting my point. Now, it's called depot preparation. Sustained release. He was digesting it one layer a day. <laughs> you, want to compare, you want to compare yourself with that? You that ate bread yesterday. Before you finish swallowing the last one, the first one I digested and was gone. Please don't try it. Concerning Jesus, the Bible says that for those 40 days, he was not hungry. He said, afterwards, he became hungry. Come on, you are dealing with people who are sustained by the Spirit, and you want to do your own in the flesh. Don't try to. People think that God will owe them just because they are unhungry. We have that mentality that when God sees my suffering, he will answer me. He doesn't do like that. He doesn't do that. He won't change his mind because you suffered. He won't. The earlier you discover his will and walk in it, the better for you. I want to just repeat what we said last time. What is the fast of a believer? Which is why we must all learn it. We must do it. The fasting of a believer is to focus on the word of God. It's seclusion. It's concentration. It's attention. I hope you're getting my point. It's seclusion, it's concentration, it's attention. And my understanding of it is this. Instead of trying to kill yourself, that if I eat my... One girl, when I, I didn't see her, but my pastor's wife, when I was serving, the, when I was in my house job, those days, told us about it. That same church, they were doing a fasting program. And the pastor's wife, she's a nurse, so she understands health things. So, this girl just dropped during the service. And in fact, for some days, the girl just collapsed. So they quickly picked her up from this church and rushed her into, you know, the church office. So they, of course, being a nurse, she came to clear her tent to check to realize that low blood sugar. That's what's worrying this girl. So she quickly asked for a bottle of drink. When they brought the girl, said, no, she has to complete her fast. Woman said, if I, if I mend you. <laughs> it was a young lady. She looked at her, what is wrong with you? If I descend upon you right now, come on, drink this thing. No, no, the fire is almost you have to the fast. Ah, you've already collapsed. <laughs> no, that's not Christian fasting. That's not Christian fasting. It's not Christian fasting. The other day I got into a discussion with some people. Some say they don't eat breakfast. I said, yes, now you sit in you sit in an air-conditioned office. You can't be speaking that English. Have you heard it before? I don't eat breakfast. People have said it before, I don't eat breakfast. And they are feeling very like, you know, to keep healthy, you know, you don't eat breakfast, your body would not have look at it. You are not digging. Yes, now you're not a digger. You don't carry pong pong. You don't load cement. So you now be speaking English, you know, I don't eat breakfast. I said, you sit in an air-conditioned office, you drive a car, the heaviest thing you carry is a file. 
Even your laptop is on the table. That's all you do. If you eat breakfast, they will suppose punish you because what are you doing with the food? <laughs> they don't be bragging, you know. I don't eat breakfast. I'm not eating breakfast, so I look very, very healthy. Say, Ross, let me send you to Oflo Dangote truck one day. If you don't eat breakfast and you don't die, I know you're a spirit. Boys who do work in the morning, they first load like three rounds, you know, three balls of opa. Then they know work is starting. I don't know if their stomach is flatter than orgasm. Orgasm say, I know request. <laughs> What's the point I'm making? When I say, Lord, I say, well, look, calculate the energy you need and stop arguing whether you eat breakfast or don't eat breakfast. If your stomach is growing like my own, then you can stop breakfast. Uh, I, I didn't want to say my mom. I wanted to say somebody else's own, but. That is good. No, Christians, listen. If you need energy, please get it from a meal. It doesn't stop your fast. That's the point I'm going to make. What you need is to sit down, concentrate, take scriptures. Do you know food is less toxic to your spiritual you know, activity than Manchester United playing Real Madrid? Those are the distractions of life. There are people who have not eaten, but they won't miss that much. They will tell you they are fasting. You are not fasting. I will say these things until Christians believe them. You are not fasting because you are hungry. I like the way Pastor Devon said it. I like his own expression. He said, true Christian fasting is to, okay, let me use my own words, borrow from what he said, is to change what you are feasting on. Do you get my point? That's true Christian fasting. It's to change what you are feasting on. Instead of feasting on food, you feast on the word. Instead of feasting on discussion with your friends, you feast on the word. Instead of feeding on the newspapers, you feed on the word. Instead of feeding um, on football, you feast on the word. That is what makes it a fast for a Christian. What about food, you say? Food is a distraction. You can't be trying to feast on the word and then they will not give you, you know, pounded yam. You know, a goosey soup is very dangerous. It's heavy. It has intrinsic oil, and the oil they use to cook it, they now put um, a body, all those kind of things. Now say you are fasting. Bros, just leave that thing. And as, you know, some people, they, they like to misquote me. Say, Pastor Banky said this does not break a fast. <laughs> Please, don't let me get angry. <laughs> it's not me you are quoting <laughs> That is a heavy distraction. But now you are done with that, and you lie back, you know, Ichabod, the glory will depart. <laughs> the spirit will leave you. The Bible says, quench not the spirit. Pandayam can quench the spirit. That's happened to me before. Not me personally. I was ministering in my fellowship those days. So the person serving no food. He said, the fellow, the, 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 the man wanted to leave, and our meeting is used to drag. So what do we do? The elders now had the meeting that we should go and have dinner, then Pastor Banky will now come and preach. Do you know the truth? Some tempters actually brought my own. And that night it was pounded here. I looked at the sister that brought it. Thank you very much. You are not aware I'm supposed to preach. So they went and laid my own aside. Everybody left the hall to go and eat pounded yam. Then returned and said, bless us if you can. <laughs> It was left to me 
to bless people who had been weighed down with the troubles of this life. <laughs> that day, I said, let's first cast out the demon of Pandadiam. Everybody rise to your feet, move to the left, move to the right. They say after me, it didn't work. That type could not go out but by fasting. <laughs> no, what I'm saying, so that people don't get me wrong, that sometimes I see people struggle. Their stomach is biting, they are weak, they can hardly see, they can hardly stand, they say they are fasting. Please, it's not necessary. At such times, take two slices of bread, take a glass of something, juice, milk, and just while listen to the words, chew it, drink it, and remain standing. If God didn't want you to do that, he should have sent the spirit that he gave to Elijah. Elijah ate, just that his own food was, you know, high dose of power. Are you getting my point? One little, two little balls. So I'm not completely Elijah. I want to hear the spirit. So my body, but if my body is weak and I can't see straight, you know, I've seen people tell that when they are fasting, they see visions. I said, you know what they call hypoglycemia? Your, your signals in your brain, they shunt. They remind you of bad, bad things. And I said, the Lord didn't reveal anything to you. It's brain signals. Do you get what I'm saying? When God, who told you that Moses was hungry? When God called him burning bush. When God answered Hannah, the Bible says she finished eating and drinking with the family. Then she went to the temple to go and pray. Yeah, I don't have time. I don't want to spend time on it. Go and read it in your Bible, First Samuel. It was after she finished eating and drinking, she now got up and went to pray. And God answered her. Please, I hope you're getting my point. So Christians, what is our real fast? Our real fast is feasting on the word of God. The true fast for the believer is to feast on the word. That is where life comes from. Listen to me. It heals diseases. It heals diseases. It heals diseases. I've had personal experiences. I've prayed with people. I've read people's stories on how the word heals them. The most dramatic I have heard in that area is that of Joel Austin. No, sorry, John Austin. That's Dodie Austin, the mother of Joel Austin, the wife of John Austin, all right? The Joel Austin that we all know, his mom. She had cancer of the liver, and the doctor said she was going to die. Until now, there is no treatment. Yes. One day, a friend of mine called me. He said, Banky, my mom is dead. I said, wow, she had cancer of the liver. I said, oh. he said, oh, no, not the problem. We're expecting it. He said, this is what he said. At least she lived longer than my patients who wouldn't listen. Because when his, his mom took ill, she went abroad to go and meet one of her, her children. And he called that one and told her, please make sure she gets no treatment. He emphasized it again and again. Nobody is to treat. He said, because it's a specialty. Say, my patients don't listen. They go to India. They go, the Indians to collect their money, do everything. They still die fast. That most of the times the treatment complicates the whole process. So in his own case, he said, no, the best thing I can do for my mom is to have her go naturally. And for that reason, she had more peace. She lived longer than those who were running up and down, flying from here to here, spending money, getting all kinds of experimental drugs. He was a specialist. He said, listen, none of them would do anything. That was what Dodi Austin had. And she was 48. And her husband laid down 
and begged God. And I read this story when she turned 84. Did you hear what I said? That's why I got the story. It was on her 81st birthday that the story was told. Nobody expected her to live more than a few months. The doctors told, look, a few months you're gone. God heals you. He does. The word heals. It does. I quote this all the time because I believe it to be true. Different men of God said, if you will give me the same attention you give to doctors, I will get you healed 100% of the times. 100%. But there will be no cost. Financial cost. Let me just add that to it. It's just financial cost. But there's cost to time. There's cost on your faith. If you're a healing minister or you're a believer and you need healing, it's not, it's not every um, healing that comes suddenly. Patience is part of faith. We are very, very patient with medical science. Doctor says, come back every three months. We'll go back. Take this tablet every day. We'll take it. Say this one. It's six hours a day. This one is eight hours. This one is once a day. You, you know, you will find an app that will remind you with color coding on which one to take when. It's called patience. One of the things I will teach us again, all right, we'll talk about faith again on Saturdays, one of these days, is that every time you are walking in faith, there are two things faith demands. There may be some more, more things, but I want to bring out these two. Faith always has a duty. That's what I want to talk about. Let me leave the other one for now. Okay, I just mentioned because I said to the second one is a sacrifice. And please, I don't mean money. Sometimes we preachers have turned everything to money. So when you say sacrifice of faith, it's okay. Faith demands a sacrifice. So you have you are, you've brought out your check or your app. Say, Pastor Bang, where do we transfer it to? That's not what I mean. There are times faith will tell you, let that go. Your name is Abraham. Say, all these goods of the king of Sodom belong to you. Your faith demands, let it go. That's what I'm talking about. There are times faith will demand, your name is Abraham also, let Lot choose first. That's what I'm talking about, sacrifice. Your faith sometimes will speak. Your wife is talking in quote, in quote, nonsense. How can she say that kind of thing? It was not her, her fault in the first place. Then the spirit of faith will say, Hagar has to go with her son. That's what I mean by the sacrifice of faith. All right? But I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about duty. Faith has duties. One of the things you have to learn, and sometimes it's not so overt in scriptures. So that's what fascinating we're talking about. You have to pray until you realize the duty of faith in each season of your life. I have a few testimonies. When I was in school those days, I wanted to pass my exam. It was very simple. The duty God gave me the first time I was studying, of course, biochemistry as one of the subjects we had to do in our second and third year. And I did not like the subject. I didn't like organic chemistry in secondary school. So I was happy to escape so when I got to university, I found chemistry 103, University of Benin, was organic chemistry. I said, ha, bah. We seen the diet commit. This thing just pursued me up and down. So I said, okay, just for one year, two semesters, I endured it. God helped me. I passed. Then I went to visit a senior student. He was a second-year student. And I picked his biochemistry textbook. 
and I saw it was a book of organic chemistry. I still remember that day. I went back to my room depressed. Like, we still did I commit that this organic chemistry is from secondary school. I was excellent in physical chemistry. All those periodic table things, all those kind of things. Uh, I know radiation. Uh-uh. I knew every part. Of, I knew that I was radiating. But once you start with uh, alkenes, alkynes, ethylene, all those kind of ah uh, ah, uh, this carbon-based things was just not my thing. So when I became a second-year student and we're now faced with biochemistry in its fullness. 18 months in biochemistry. You can be sure I did not used to read it. And I was supposed to pass it. Otherwise, I'll repeat the class. So shortly before the exam, I went and prayed. And the duty of faith, two duties faith gave to me straight away. One, stop saying it is volatile. Two, you have to read it. I remember very well. Those are the two things I had to do. I was believing God. See, I, I, you've heard me teach this before. Those who claim they are believing God and those who are careless, they look alike. The man who's believing God does not worry about his future. The one that's careless is so ignorant of life, he doesn't care about the future. So many useless people, I'm sorry to use that expression, they will now find, when they come to church, their natural inclination is to be responsible. They now hide behind faith. And they do this one, ah, by faith, by faith, by faith. I said, no. Faith has duties. That's how you separate the person who really is believing God and the one who's just careless. The fellow who's truly believing God, watch how he or she is handling matters of today. If you tell that individual, keep this place clean, before meeting starts, the fellow will come. When do people start arriving? They say, 3 o'clock. Okay, good. He will come by 2. By the time the first set of people arrive by 3, the place is shining. What about your future? Don't worry about it. That's a real person of faith. You know that fellow by the faithfulness in the present. Faith always has duties. The duty faith gave me that time was, you have to read and close your mouth. I still remember very well that day I got to class. The guy's name is in my head. I can still see his face. I, he, he came and sat beside me, having been possessed, like the same spirit that possessed Peter, that Jesus had to say, get behind me. You remember that spirit? He sat down. Who sat first? Anyway, we sat beside each other. And I just came from praying. You know. As soon as I sat, he opened his mouth, and tempted me to say the very things the Holy Spirit said I must never say again. That biochemistry is volatile. So he sat down, he was reading it, he looked, he said, ha, this, this biochemistry is volatile. <laughs> Accuser of the brethren. I did not know Satan was that real until that day. What? At that point in time, I, I, I threw away all niceness. I answered him back. I said, biochemistry is not volatile. I turned to him again. I said, biochemistry is not volatile. <laughs> the third time I turned to him, I said, no. Biochemistry is not volatile. He said, ah, ah, ah. Like, <laughs> you know, they, they walk out of this one. 
That was my duty of faith. Those two things, God helped me. I executed them. You know how God delivered me? Before we walked in, there's a lot, long, a lot of stories, all right? But the most important one is that before we walked in for that exam, we were supposed to answer five questions in our essay. I read three. At this one, I say, before we walked in, we had a short break between um, um, MCQ and essay. Short break, like two hours. In that short interval, I read three of the so I can remember the topics till today. Till today, I remember the subtopics. It was so dramatic. I walked in, they were there. The night before, the only thing I read the night before was the fourth one out of five questions. That's how God did that one. But faith has what? Duties. Faith has duties. In life, one of the things you do with this period of fasting is to locate the duties of faith. You occupy with this until I come. Find what you are supposed to be occupied with. Because one day it's going to come. And what he will do, what your future is supposed to be, he went to prepare it. He just gave you time to qualify to enter into it. No matter how much faith you have for bringing forth great things of tomorrow, God will prepare it, then he will now come. And say, where's my mina? Where's my talent? You say, I buried it while waiting for you. Say, you're a very useless person. Send him into the outer darkness. So that thing you were believing God for for 20 years, you will never see it. He prepared it all. Yet when it was time to initiate you into it, he found you were not worthy. Why? The duty of faith during your waiting period, you did not execute it. Bear it in mind. So for us believers, the word of God is our source of everything. So we must pay attention to it. That's the point. We must give it what? Attention. We must give it attention. We must make sure that we, you know, it's one of the duties of faith. If you recognize this is the source of your life, behave like it is. Behave like it is. The word of God is not a set of instructions. It's a conduit pipe for the life that is in Christ. You hear what I said? So the letter profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. The words that I've spoken, they contain the spiritual substance that will impart life. That's what he said. So that's why we read the same thing again and again. That's why we declare the same thing again and again. There's nothing like I've read it before. We'll read it again. Please, I hope, I hope you're well, you following me. There's nothing like I've read it before. We'll read it again. Because it's not like, it's not just a set of instructions. It's a conduit pipe for divine power. That's what it is. So we pay attention to it. It is only, in fact, prayer must, if you want to see power in prayer, it must be the one stimulated by the word of God. Not just by desire. Most times in life, prayer, our prayers are stimulated by desire. Sometimes by worry. Not by the word. If the word stimulates prayer in you, you will see real prayer results. So we can't pray effectively unless the heart is full of the word of God. That's why it works. The word comes in, creates desires in you, creates you know, prayer points. Then you take those things to the Lord in prayer. Then God says, good, now we're in agreement. Now we're in agreement so his power can flow. So believers in Christ Jesus, the word of God for us is life. 
I said last time, that's where God has hidden all our provisions. That's where. For healing, it is in the word. Financial, it's in the word. And it's so strange that if you don't understand spiritual things, like, ah, can you say financial provision is in the word? Me too, I don't understand it. So that's why we said last time, what do we do? Be it unto me, according to your word. But the Bible says the word of God is alive. What it means is that what God has spoken takes on a real living form and can possess things. Did you hear what I said? It can possess people. It can possess things. When the spirit possessed a donkey, spoke. Do you know that? Yes. That same thing is still happening to you today. The spirit, sometimes, there are different ways it works. Sometimes it possesses even doctors. Yes. See, let me say something to you. God is not an angry God like, what is wrong with you? How are you going to say doctor? No, doctor? no. If your faith truly is in God, primarily, there are times you will look. That is, the Lord will look and say, no. This young man, this young woman cannot stand and not, it will be difficult. So it's okay. Go and see a physician. Then the world you possess that one. Before you arrive, you will have learned what to do. I don't know whether I get my point. No, I've, no the, word of, the Spirit of God works on you. I've seen some of these experiences. Just this has to be the Spirit of God. One of the most interesting ones I had when I was shot after I came to Enugu, started teaching, because I'm a university teacher. I teach fourth year medical students. That day, I came to, I was sitting in my office waiting for the time for my lecture. I just opened one book I brought with me from Lagos. I, I decided to read it. I didn't need it for anything. I just had to read it. I read something there. Ah, okay. And listen, I was a specialist by that time. I'd been reading for a long time. But you can't know everything. That was the day I just finally understood something properly. I said, okay. Oh. And I wasn't thinking anything about it. I closed the book. And I, when it was time for my lecture, that, that topic, I wasn't teaching it. If I remember the textbook I read it in, it was a textbook for practice in, um, well, gynecological pathology. So, and I was teaching fundamentals of medical, so I didn't need it. I, re- I just happened to have it as a special textbook for my work. I got into class, finished teaching. I still remember that guy. His first name was Daniel. Any questions? You know, these boys who want to say whether this teacher no book. Were you like that in secondary school? You want to test the lecture, I say. They look me like that. This boy will just come from Lagos. Let's see the book he brought in his head. And I had a very funny habit. I don't go to class with notes. I go to class with just my writing materials and I just teach. I teach, you know. I feel like, look, go and read your text. My job is to explain. So there's a way I teach. So the guy just got up and asked one question. If he had asked that question two hours before, I did not know the answer. So let's not talk about the day before. If he had asked that question two hours before, I couldn't have given him an answer. As soon as he finished answering, Jesus, it was what I read just before coming down. The Holy Spirit said, Banky, let me glorify my son. I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> no, that was what God did that day. So let me beautify you with glory. So from today, I am going to start distinguishing you amongst your students. Are you getting my point? Yeah, that's the kind of thing God did with Israel. I will put the dread of you upon the people. That one, I just... And the guy asked the question, I just did like, it's not tasting the blood, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> just turned to, this, to, to the board, took my writing stuff. 
explained. I broke it down very well. Explained. I said, "Do you understand?" Say yes, sir. I walked away. Back to my crib. Right? <laughs> no, that I, I, you know, that story it just strikes you. Why he struck me was that I knew the Holy Spirit just said, "Banky, there's one smart guy there who wants to test you. Let me put my glory on you." So he pushed me to read something that had no connection with the lecture. I wasn't preparing for that lecture. I was just, you know, whiling away the time. So when I say the Holy Spirit can make a doctor, then that the word can possess the doctor to study before you arrive. I'm not joking. He will expose him to one knowledge he didn't have because we are supposed to see him tomorrow. He does that. One of the stories I like most is that of Ben Carson's story, um, Ben Carson, in which a couple came and told him, he said, the woman said, God said we should come and see you. And I've been a crazy, his head told me, of course, you, you, you too, you know, 95% of God said, God said, me? I didn't say anything. No. Their imagination said. So I'm, I, I assume he was used to that too. So they told him, God said, he didn't take it seriously. Let's make a long story short. He looked at the case, decided like every other doctor, that this is a hopeless case. There's no point wasting their time or his time. And he told them as much. The child was unconscious. The child was going to die. He had the tumor in the brain. The woman said to him, you don't understand. God said we should come and see you. You will treat this child and it will be well. Ah. When they pressed him so much, his reason was simple. The tumor was growing in the part of the brain, brain that nobody touches. It's called the brain stem. You don't touch it. If you touch it, the person will die. If you touch a healthy person, he will die. So, how do I operate there? So they don't operate there. So I explained to them, the woman said, no, you don't get my point. God said, you will operate on this child and the child will live. Just to get out of their grip, he had to do something. What did he do? Let us, you know, just go back to the theater, take another biopsy. He cut a bit of the tumor out from the parts, away from the brainstem, of course, and sent to his pathologist. They returned the same diagnosis as the former hospital, where they came from. So he came to see them and said, okay, I'm sorry, we're back to square one. But routinely they do a post-surgery MRI scan. So when they gave him the scan, he looked at it, and all of a sudden he noticed something nobody ever noticed before then. And which was not obvious, except that he went and cut a little bit of the tumor away. A small gap between the tumor and the brainstem. He said, oh, it is not growing inside. It's going beside and pressing on it. Then we have hope. Rushed the little boy back to the theater and started eating away the tumor bit by bit until he removed every bit of it he could find. A few hours later, the boy who had been unconscious for days began to wake up. A few days later, the boy was fully awake, regaining all his functions, moving up and down. He now came and told them that they now need to start Cancer, well, drug therapy. The woman said, it will not be necessary. That you have done what God said <laughs> you should do. Now, he, read, he wrote it in his book. He said at that point in time, he couldn't argue with them. He didn't agree with that policy. He said, but no, he couldn't argue. So he left the matter and discharged them home without the drugs. He said, at the time he was writing the book, years later, the boy was still perfectly well. It is not a testimony to the power of medical science. It is not. 
It is a testimony to the power of God, which made those people where they could handle. So the word possessed the man. And he walked, and the child became well. Now, please, I hope you are following my point. So the word word works in different dimensions. I'm one of those people, well, not those people. I'm one of the, I'm the only preacher I know that believes that God changes the past. Most preachers will tell you that what is past is past. I said, no, God changes the past. How does he do it? If I knew everything, wouldn't I be another God? (laughs) I don't know. I just know he does it. And one thing I'm certain about is that there are many pasts in our lives he has changed we don't know. Because he cannot change the past without wiping away the memory. He has to. I hope you're getting my point here. So you see, as a matter of fact, the word of God becomes a living being and possesses people, possesses things, can possess an animal to assist you. I believe one day he possessed a young girl. She ran out of the bush to wave me down because arm robbers were in front. I just saw one figure just dashed out of the bush. Bam! Just flagged us down and ran back inside the bush. I still remember, small girl, that girl could not have been more than 12 thereabout. So I didn't see anything really. Well, like, I didn't get the message because she came in and ran away. But that made me take my foot. Because I was driving at full speed, made me take my foot off the throttle. So the car began to slow down while I was wondering what was going on. Then I looked up front. It was early in the morning. I said, something is amiss. Then I got the point. So I stopped, turned, and ran. God works in different... I hope you're getting my point. The word works. The word doesn't work the way, necessarily the way you expect it to work. No. It doesn't necessarily work the way you expect it to work. You can plan one way, it goes another way. God had released the word of deliverance for Israel out of Egypt. Moses thought it would work by his activism. But God said no. If you walk by me first, removing all the strength that you have, then I will now send you with my mighty hand. So, as believers, how do we stay prayed up? We're saying, beginning from last time, when I began to speak about this, is just to take the word, discover the word of God, put it on our lips, spread it into our environment, and allow it do its work. We have the duty. We spread the word constantly. And the world will take on this form that it needs to take and to produce the results in our lives. I hope you are getting my point. All right, that's what we're talking about. So, let's open our Bibles. I want us to read something again. Okay, last time we read Psalm 23. But this time around, I think we should read... Um... Okay, let's read Second Peter chapter 1. All God's provisions are in his promises. Quoting the direct prince there, but of course it's the word of God. All of God's provisions are in his promises. Now, what I want to just show us briefly, first of all, is what the provisions are for. And again, we're now going to taking declarations from the word of God so as to fulfill, that is, so as to do our duty in activating the provisions of God, that is, the, the, the provisions, of course, in our environment. Second Peter chapter 1, it said from verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Please, I want to bring out something from here. That his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Why I brought this matter up is that verse, um, what he said about godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by this he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. By them we will become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And I went ahead to tell us many things from verse 5 and all of that. Okay? And further down. Now, I just, when I was thinking about this evening's meeting, I had something in mind earlier. Then I think the Holy Spirit now brought this matter to me that, no, the mistake we make sometimes as believers is that we focus on the things that are less important. For example, if we want to declare the word now, now, I'm not saying it is not, it is not correct. I'm just talking about the level of importance. We tend to start with, um, I will live, I will not die, which is good. And then I will have food, I will not go hungry. I will, I will have water. I will not go thirsty. I will be healed. I will not be sick. We'll focus on that so much. We'll forget the primary reason that he gave us his promises. Why did he give us the promises? He said it's for life and godliness. So that we'll be what? Partakers of the divine nature. You didn't notice that? That's the primary thing he's doing. We said something, uh, when we're talking about, um, we're still on it, what salvation is. That people say that is there prog- uh, there's nothing like progressive um, sanctification. But I said, no, it is there in the Bible. Let's not argue over the words, but let's know what we mean. What we mean is that the character of God has to become fully developed in us. What we mean is that the nature of God has to be fully expressed. What we mean is that every defilement of flesh and spirit must be removed. What we mean is that for adventure that is inside us, like it was in Simon, the gall of bitterness, producing the bondage of iniquity. All those things must be cleansed. We have to be washed with the washing of water by the word until we are presented to him without spot or blemish. That is a progressive process. And that is the first thing he gave us his promises for. That's the first thing. Now, after that, that's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things will be added. That is the first thing he gave us promises for. To break off every bit of defilement of the flesh. To break off every bit of defilement of the spirit. That is the first thing he gave us promises for. Let me talk about Nigeria for a moment. So that we will understand what I'm going to explain. I saw an article. um, Somebody forwarded it to me the other day. A, a, a Christian group that I belong to. And a man wrote about, they said the vice president, and he says something about how we need to settle down and readdress the issue of corruption. I don't know whether you understand that. That is, we need to develop, we'd have to develop a new uh, strategy for tackling corruption. And this man sat down <laughs> and gave a history of the different strategies for tackling corruption. He reminded, of course, in, his article, in the, the article, he reminded us, the newspaper you know, um, column, he reminded us that the first, that um, Amadou Bello and Co. 
were killed by those soldiers at that time because, according to them, they were corrupt. Now, he's a northerner writing, so most of his examples are from that side. Then he will give, he will, he will refer to a number of things, Tafawa Balewa, what happened, how the iconic picture of him having a holiday in a small village, sitting on the mat, all right? He, he told all the stories. Then he, he kept on walking down until uh, uh, General Buhari and Idiagwan's coup, then Babangida's coup, that, see, everybody said they were tackling corruption. They are one coup after the other because of corruption. Then he left that matter. They went to things like how Obasanjo began EFCC, ICPC. He went through all the gamut trying to see what has been tried about corruption. So he said, good luck, Mr. Vice President, finding another <laughs> way, an ingenious way to tackle corruption. He said, because as far as he's concerned, everything has been tried and none worked. Now, where I read this is a Christian group. One of my colleagues started it, you know. And so I, 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 I was the only one that responded to it. I said, some people say we should, that we have prayed enough, that the problem with Nigeria is that we pray too much. Have you heard that thing before? Yeah. That we pray, pray, pray. I said, see, a man that's not talking about prayer has explained to us that it's not true. That we pray too much is not true. We have also tried everything. And nothing worked. I read another article. Somebody talking about the problem in the country again. Why would we do like this? We just like to pray that we believe too much in curses. Again, I answered. I said, you have talked plenty now on why we should not believe in curses. Have they given us a solution out of where we are? I said, let me tell you why people believe in curses. Because they've tried. I referred to the previous article. And when they tried everything, it, could, it did not work. They had to resolve to the last thing. There must be a spiritual climate. Again, I got no answer. This is where I'm going. Talking about that corruption thing. Listen, the corruption can be so much, all right? The Bible says, he that departs from iniquity makes himself what? A prey. It can be so much in the environment that to live righteously is not humanly possible. And that's not a joke. That is, to live righteously will be humanly impossible. Now, that does not mean we will not live righteously. I hope you're getting my point. What the Bible only says is that where grace abounds, where sin abounds, what happens? Grace much more abounds. So it says to believers, draw near to the throne of grace. Do you get my point? And obtain mercy. So you will find grace to help in the time of need. The time of need he's talking about there. It's not the time of hunger. Primarily not because of food. But because when there is pressure to disobey God. And you find it all around every day. Let me say it again. Nigeria as a country and indeed most of Africa. I saw a Ghanaian article yesterday on BBC. I said this article should have been written in Nigeria. Just remove the name. Ghana and Puna. Everything is just correct. Everything. So I believe our situation in Nigeria applies to them in Ghana too. The whole of Africa has no hope except Christians. Listen to what I'm saying. Except Christians get up and with the promises of God manifest the divine nature. One of our brothers who just said yesterday night, and I think it's a beautiful gist. I just let me drop something to you about it. When dollar began to go up against the naira in cost, he said, Sir, I had the money. And I was tempted 
to buy the dollar and keep. But that the Holy Spirit made it clear to him that it will be a sin if you bet against your own currency. The very currency you are saying, I should bless. One of our brothers here too, they have mentioned this. He came afterward and told me the same thing happened to him. So we're just talking about it yesterday evening. Now, let's, now I'm talking about the, the, the duties of faith, all right? That faith makes demands, and that's what I call the sacrifice of faith. So that's the second thing about it. I said to him, I said, listen, you did what you did. At least I know you. I know another person. That's, that's two people. I said, do you know the Holy Spirit is counting? Now, listen to what I'm saying. I said, the Holy Spirit is counting. Like he needed ten righteous people to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saying, I need a certain number of righteous people not to bet against the Naira, even though, now I'm not talking about people who can't afford it anyway. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If they are not paying salaries for two months because of lockdown, you can't bet against the Naira. I hope you're getting my point. You are betting against rice and beans and, and do you follow what I'm saying? <laughs> you are looking for money to buy food. So I'm, not, I'm talking about people who can bring out three million Naira, five million Naira and say, give me Maybe $10,000 or twenty. Let me hold it because I know the price will go up. Because I need such people. I, will, I need to count a certain number before I stabilize your currency. Because if I don't have enough people who are ready, listen to what I'm saying, to offer the sacrifice of faith, why should I do anything? You don't want it anyway. Mm-hmm. What is our preaching about? The provisions of God. At such times, what do you do? There's no Ogboju in this life. No, there's no Ogboju. As soon as you know what you do, you get on your knees and pray. You get on your knees and declare the word of God into the atmosphere so that the spirit will enter into you and say you can't bet against the Naira. I hope you're getting my point. Many of us believers, we are in politics and many more will join. I'm politicians. Talk with another of our brothers yesterday. When he tells you about politicians, you will know that without the Spirit of God, don't go near them. Men who are fighting for power. People are fighting for money. They love money. They have problems, okay? But those who are fighting for power, they are worse. Again, believers in Christ Jesus, don't run away. And if anything, they say, no, don't. What did I say? Don't. don't. If God, listen to me. If God opens a door for you to get into politics or serve in government, do not run away. But go fortified. You must see your own babalao. You must join your own cult. You must jazz yourself up. You must go to your own cult. Where's your cult? Christ. You must go to the brethren. Tell them, lay hands on me. Let them pray, tell them, be praying for me. And then every day, faith will be making demands. The easiest thing you can do there is to be a man of integrity. I'm not saying that it's easy. I just said it's what? The easiest. Then you back your life with prayer so that you'll be a partaker of what? The divine nature. Using what? His promises. And again, we know a lot of scriptures that can help there. You just wake up every morning. They say, hey, you need to talk to this man, talk to this man. You go to talk to the man. The man says, this is the thing. I said, no, I can't make such promises. You go back home. You know, Bible said, you know, God said, Jeremiah, don't be afraid of them. If you are afraid of them, I will disgrace you. That's a good scripture to put on your wall before you leave the house. 
The Lord shall disgrace me if I'm afraid of anybody. <laughs> Is that not the promises of God? It's a promise. I will be disgraced if I'm afraid of anybody. Therefore, I shall not be afraid. Put it there. When you are going out, you will see the strongest Godfather in the country, and you will not, now, not because of your own strength, but the same spirit that entered into, you know, Mishael, Ananiah, and Azariah, and they were not afraid of the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. It will enter into you, and people will know, what are you, what are you relying on? And that scripture, say, look, God rules in their affairs. He gives the kingdoms over to whomsoever he wishes. That anybody that gets the kingdom, listen, these people don't have the power. Listen, listen, listen. And you declare to yourself every day, Satan will let you see where they show their power. Anytime you see it, you go sit down, declare that word to yourself every day. The first thing the promise of God does for you is to help us live in godliness. The first thing it's supposed to do for us is to bring out the, you know, the nature of God out of us in reality. He gave us promises for the sake of divine nature, not for food. Ah, did he not say man shall not live by bread alone? The first thing the, divine, the, the promises of God do for us is to perfect the divine nature. It's not food. If you're a student, you're in school, they say one lecturer is like this, you know, anyway, they are, God, God is putting everybody in line now. All the randy lecturers they are catching are going to prison. The other guy, you know, is in jail. I don't know whether he leaves because of COVID, but they sent him to prison. Anyway, but let's even assume the man is not going to jail. Before you enter into the place, you arm yourself with the word of God. You know, I know the kind of thing God does. Like we were saying earlier, go get up one day and say, my daughter, let me put the fear of you upon them. A man will threaten you. Next day, he has an accident. Breaks one arm and one leg. And then dreams about you. You know, God knows how to put icing on the cake. Even before that dream, before the accident, he would have dreamt that you came and took a hammer, hammered his leg, and hammered his hand. So he wakes up and says, ah, it was just a dream. Then leaves the house. Once the main truck collects his car, turns over the, <laughs> to the other side. He comes out, one arm broken, one leg broken. Then they remind him of the dream. They will tell all his co-crazy co people and say, that girl is a witch. It goes anything they call, it doesn't matter. Let them just keep away. So next time you say, when you enter the lecture, you jump up. <laughs> what, will you, what do you want? <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I submitted my assignment. I've marked it. I've marked it. Look at it. <laughs> Look at this. Is it correct? He <laughs> says, sir, how am I supposed to know? No, no. If you think the B plus is not good, I can do something about it. He <laughs> says, Excuse me, anything I deserve now, that's what Lord I'm saying. Okay, I've looked at it again. I think you deserve an A. You deserve an A. Just carry your wallet. You deserve an A. No, that, that's what God does. Makes people afraid of you. It makes people afraid of you. Please let me digress again. Please, I like you know my digression that they sweet, so manage it. We are court members too. We too were in court too. Why I can't join Oboni is because of superiority. It's not because I don't believe in spiritual things, but you know, how can I, okay, they say, okay, they have stopped lockdown, lockdown. So Pastor Mark will now go and reload in primary, primary school because they have now opened schools. Does that make sense? You say, sir, did you say you are going to primary school? Say, yes, yeah, so I just feel like I should update myself. 
primary school. Now that is the way, that's why Christians don't join things like Oboni. It's like a university graduate, a PhD holder, now going to update himself with primary, primary six knowledge. And it's ridiculous. Have you seen the way they make the deck safe? They are too small for your size. They don't want you. If you want to join the body, they will not agree. They will say, this man is looking for trouble. That's why we don't join. Christians realize something. We belong to cults too. Christianity is a cult. Paul explained it like that. He called it a mystery that was hidden. That word mystery means cult. We also drink blood. We drink blood. We drank blood in my house this morning. As we're just sharing the word, sharing the word, I told my wife, please get bread and wine. But I was sharing with the children and her, I even got a revelation again. I said, the, the body refers to what God did for us in Christ Jesus. The blood, he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. I said, what's that new covenant? It binds us to him. It's describing what we are to him and our duties to him. Paul said, God, whom, whose I am and whom I serve. It says, covenant bondage. Can I use that expression? To God. We drink blood. And you should drink blood once in a while too. Occasionally, do some occultic things in the house. Let your neighbors see. Let them be afraid. Put off the light. Light candles. Say, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Your light shines in the darkness. So, children, let's have darkness. And put a candle, their one big candle. If I said this, it make you laugh. Make funny sounds. Groan. Say, children, let us groan. <clears throat> Speak in tongues. Let your neighbors hear. No, I think we should. No, seriously. It's not as if those activities are the main, but I think when you come out of an African setting, until you get deeply into the full knowledge, you should practice these things to let you know that we're all doing this thing, just that like my own is superior. So they say, I'm going to Babalao. Say, me too, I'm going to Babalao. Where's the Babalao? He said, there's one bush. My own, they want church. So my cult, eh? You are trying me? Okay, I'm carrying your name to the cult meeting. If it, that is that, we are in a cult too. You know, sometimes we behave as if they, they say they say that uh, one, one, one occultic man is your officer and you are not afraid. Call him and say, Oh boy, can I talk to you? They say you're in a cult. Ah, that's good. You know, this life is wicked. All of us must be in something. So, which one are you on? Ah, are you in a group? Ah, eh, that must be one of the inferior ones. Where is that one? Ah, you don't know our power. Ah, let me hear about it. You know, they drink blood. Which kind of blood? It's not sinners. Ah, I can't drink that kind of blood. It will pollute me. I'm too pure for that. Looking at you, say, the blood we drink is the blood of God. Hey, yes, so. When you go to your courts, ask them about me. Whatever they tell you, come and let me know. They are, I cannot take you to my own. When, listen, don't be afraid. When he goes to his court and asks about you, they will, they will beat him. But what were you looking for? Don't you know your mates? Satan came to God and said, Hey, God said, Have you condemned my servant Job? He said, 
Going around Job is not a very nice idea. I don't, how many of you ever saw this movie? In those, that series, those, it's Man from Atlantis. You are the only senior guy here. Okay, okay, my wife too said she saw it. Okay. I remember one episode I watched those days. There was one, one spirit guy like this that came from the bottom of the ocean. And he was turning everybody to Didiri. You know what they call Didiri? Who knows what Didiri is? Okay, you know what Didiri is? Okay. <laughs> anyway, making all of them laugh. They don't have sense. They can just be laughing, laughing, laughing. So this man now came. That's the, main, the, the star of the movie. He wanted to shake the guy. Because the guy, when you shake his hand, that is when the spirit will catch you. So he tried to shake that guy's hand. The guy refused. <laughs> he, he told the guy, you must, shake, you must shake my hand. The guy said no. So he pursued the guy to one corner. That guy, very slippery guy. The guy kept on, he did everything, but your hand I will not shake. Because he knows that once he, shake that, he shakes that man's hands, voila, day. The guy did everything to capture the man. This guy, was, he had turned everybody else to the dinner. I remember they said, ha! That's, you know, that's how witches are. Someone said that somebody touched you, and a part of your body vanished. And I said, one day my wife came back home from church, said that somebody came to church to testify. That her husband was touched by one man in Lagos and his JT disappeared. I said, in church? If it happened, I'll be too embarrassed to testify. I told my wife, that is utter foolishness. Nonsense. Foolishness. You know, like I always say, if you are like that, come and shake my hand. As God lives, if your brain does not disappear, no, 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 I'm not talking about any part of your body, your brain. I'm going for your brain. Just shake my hand first. I don't care who you are. Even if you are the Oluo of the Ogoris of Nigeria, come and shake my hand. I swear by Almighty God, if you, your brain, next morning, they will say you have Alzheimer's disease. You, listen, let me tell you a number of things you are going to have. Alzheimer's next morning. Parkinson's by evening. Every Degenerative brain disorder that the doctors around know you will have it within one week. Then one day you will hear a word that uh, our scan is uh, showing as if his brain is shrinking. They will give you another word. You can find one encephalo something dystrophy. They will dash it to you. Why? You shook my hand. Maybe you say you get power. Come and shake now. But Christians will be good and say they, you don't shake somebody's hand though. Why? If you shake hand now, they will use you to do juju. Please, anybody who can disappear me to a shrine, come and try. It will be a nice excursion. When I read it, I say, now they cause trouble. Rubbish. Let me let you know, the demons are more afraid of you. We belong to a cult. All of us are cult members. If you're a cult member, say amen. Amen. It's just that our cult is the highest. Is the most is the most ubungeric of all the cults. No, I'm serious. I don't know how else to explain it. It's the highest. Even the other ones, they come to our God to get permission to cross the road. So, like I was saying, the first thing we do with the, uh, the promises of God is what to bring forth godliness, so that the temptations of life we handle them with divine promises. Let's know those promises. So the promises go into other areas also, of course. It handles our food, handles our protection, 
handles our material supplies. That's what I mean by food. It handles financial matters. But the first and the most important thing that the promise produces for us is deliverance from sin, a walk in godliness. Paul said in that Hebrews chapter 6, he said, let us draw near, in Hebrews chapter 4, he said, let us draw near to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Romans chapter 6. I want us to look at this. This is number one thing we are going to look at today concerning the provisions of God. Remember, he has given us what? Precious and magnificent promises. He has given us precious and magnificent promises so that by them we will be partakers of divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now let's read this, Romans chapter 6. Now I'm trying to see, maybe we should read everything. Let's read that Romans chapter 6 from the beginning. I don't know where to break it. Well then, should we keep on sinning? I'm using the New Living Translation. So that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Now everybody say after me, I have died to sin. I have died to sin. I cannot continue to live in it. Please, I want you to remember something. Now, remember what I said earlier. The word of God is what? Alive. The word of God is what? Alive. The word of God is alive. He knows how to keep the Christian from iniquity. What I want to focus on today, it breaks every form of bondage. It breaks every form of addiction. There's no reason why a Christian will do what he or she does not want to do. There is no reason. He says sin shall not have dominion over you. That's the emphasis for today. The provision of God. Sin will not have dominion over you. You don't have to lie. Sin will have no dominion over you. Even cigarettes, you can't be addicted to cigarettes. Sin will have no dominion over you. If you are listening to this from anywhere, even if you are addicted to cocaine, first, let me explain something. Let me teach you small physiology, right? There's what we call physical addiction. All right? In addiction, you know, um, science. What is physical addiction? Let me give an example. Have you ever been hungry? So hungry that you can hardly, you know, you start, trem- you start trembling. Now, let me ask you. Is it a, now, I'm going to bring out something here. Is it a bad thing? Is it like a bad habit? No, just that you have not eaten. You have not eaten. That's all. You haven't eaten. What is the cure for that trembling? Food. You can be so hungry, you know, you start shaking. If you don't get food after a long time, literally after a long time, you pass out. That's not a joke. It takes a long time to get to that point, all right? But I'm going to explain something here, that the need for food is real. It's tangible. So that's what we mean by physical. It's not just a psychological thing. But let me give another another example. Assuming that you have cravings, like you like a particular kind of ice cream. You know, if you don't get it, you'll be ah, like, I want this ice cream, or I want this ice cream. You understand my point? So you start looking for it all over the place, like, like your wife suddenly decides she wants to eat roasted chicken at 1 a.m. Some men of God will go and buy, they say it's love. I told them that you will not preach again if you do that kind of thing again. <laughs> one day my wife said that, I, I knew you were joking when you said that one. I said, I'm not joking. Don't have ideas. 
that you want to eat some chicken at 1 a.m. What kind of love is that? How can I love you and you can't love me back? I will get her to go and look for chicken at 1 a.m. If I can't die for Rodunga. What will you tell people? He went to look for chicken, oh. He loved me so much. Stop that, too. The Lord is good. Sorry, baby, I love you, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, but I'm going to make, bring us an issue from there. That's, you know, some people can have that kind of craving that they have to get that ice cream. You know that. But let me ask you, if they don't get the ice cream, will they die? Will they start shaking? They just be thinking about it. That is what we call psychologic addiction. Now, it can be very strong. That's what cocaine does. When cocaine hooks people, it's like that. It can be very strong. I'm not saying it's not strong. It can be really strong. But the stronger one is that physical one that's like real food. Now, let me, and I said I'm teaching you a bit of addiction science. That is what heroin addicts get. A heroin addict is not just, he doesn't have a bad habit. His life depends on that thing. It takes less than a week to be addicted to heroin. Don't even joke with it. It takes less than a week. You take it every day. By the fifth day, you are are a lifetime addict. And it is intense. When they want to make them kick, what they they do, kick the habit by what they call cold turkey. You have to put the person in a padded room. Otherwise, they will commit suicide on you. They will hit their head on the wall till they die. So those days when they used to do that, they don't do that anymore. They put. They say, they say okay, you are going to keep this habit cooked talking that you will go through the suffering. It may last the next five days until your body readjusts to not needing it. You pack the room. You remove every sharp object. Anything somebody can use to kill himself, you take it away. You now lock the door. You want to give a fellow food, you put it on paper, plastic. Don't try glass, because the fellow would rather die than live through that. Why am I talking about it? It's a physical thing. The fellow, the, the, there's parts of the brain that need it to function. So if you are listening to me and you're like that, from wherever, he said, man shall not live by what? Bread alone. That word applies to heroin. The, hero, the word of God will replace the need for heroin. The word of God, listen to me, it will remove, it will wipe out the part of the brain that's hanging on heroin and keep it suspended until you are free. The word of God will turn itself in, in, in your system to give you the same effect that heroin will have given. Listen, heroin is, some people get so used to it, they start using stronger forms. That's what killed Prince, fentanyl. What am I preaching today? I've described how bad it can be. But I've come with something even stronger. I'm saying the deliverance we have in Christ is stronger. If anyone is in Christ, there's no reason to be bound to heroin. Opiates, they are some of the most addictive things on this earth. But I'm saying, I'm saying it under God. There is no need to be bound to it. God has, up, he has, listen, he has released the word. Sin will not have dominion over you. 
sin will not have dominion over you. Amen. Remember, how do, we, how do we stay prayed up? We just throw these words into our environment. Give this word to any addict you know. Pray for the fellow, then give him two scriptures. Say, declare the scriptures morning, afternoon, and night. Just once, not even ten times. Wake up in the morning, release the scripture. That you have died to sin, therefore you will no longer live in it. He said in verse 2, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Say it again, I have died to sin. sin. Everybody say, "I I have died to sin. I have died to sin. Let me tell you this, even bad habits like anger. I was watching one man the other day on TV. Miraculously, he was delivered from many things. But anger, he, didn't, he was not delivered from it miraculously. He said, but one thing he has realized. Once he keeps himself fed on the word of God, anger doesn't have any dominion over him. Number one thing the word does for us is to bring out godliness, the divine nature. Let's continue reading. He said, well, have you forgotten, verse 3, that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. He said in verse 5, since we have been united with him in his death. I'll say that again. I have been united with him in his death. He said, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Oh, let me read that again. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Everybody read the next line with me. We are no longer slaves to sin. Personalize it. I am no longer a slave to sin. Say it one more time. I am no longer a slave to sin. Say this after me. My old self was crucified with Christ. My old self was crucified with Christ. My old self was crucified with Christ. Say sin has lost its power in my life. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. Let's read verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. <laughs> now, I like the way Paul said, these are matter of fact things. You know what faith is? Faith means just say yes. Faith means, I don't want to know how it happened. Or, or what, you know, who paid what, how did they do it? What is the solution? What is the conclusion? I am no longer a slave to sin. The answer, what, what am I supposed to say? Yes, or amen. Amen, yes, the same thing. In fact, like one woman says, say the two, yes and amen. Say yes and amen. Now let me say something. Let me tell you how faith works. You don't describe your experience of yesterday or your feeling of today. Listen. I like one thing, Pastor, what you said once. (laughs) He said he used to smoke very heavily. He was addicted to smoking. That while lighting his cigarettes, you'll be quoting the scripture. <laughs> that is, a man has a cigar in his hand, and he's telling you, 
I'm not a slave to smoking. I want to say, well, you are smoking. You are the one seeing it. He's saying that I am not a slave. You know, let me say something about the word of God. The word becomes flesh. It may not have been flesh at the beginning, but it will become flesh. That's why I tell believers, you know, one mistake we make, especially when it comes to healing matters, matters, is that once we don't experience a miracle, we assume that God didn't do anything. He doesn't always do miracles, but he always does healing. There's a difference. What is miracle? It's instantaneous. But healing may be instantaneous, or it may not be. There's one expression Ken Hagen used to use those days. He says, well, okay, I think it's Joe. No, it's not Ken Hagen. Hagen was quoting John Austin. John Austin says, keep the switch of faith turned on. Keep the switch of faith turned on. Like Jesus said to that man, don't be afraid, but keep on believing. The problem, that's the Bible calls patience. The problem is that if you drop faith at any point in time, the power stops working at that point. And sometimes a regressive process starts. The power of God does not always work miracles. Sometimes it takes some days by his plan for the people of Israel to get to the promised land. They stretched it to 40 years. But it was never meant to be one hour. It was never meant to be, you know, one day. It was supposed to take a number of days. And one of the things that those days will accomplish is to teach them how they will walk in the promised land. When they left Egypt, they didn't have a law. You know that. They had a covenant of the fathers. But God needed to make a covenant with them and give them the law. And he said concerning the law that these are the laws by which we walk in the promised land. It's in the desert, in the wilderness, you get the laws that will sustain you in the land of promise. I hope you're getting my point. It's in difficult times that God tells you the codes and instructions by which you will walk in the time of prosperity. So that's why sometimes he doesn't do things in a hurry. He takes time. But sometimes what happens is that we just assume that because it doesn't happen, it did not happen. Are you catching what I'm saying? We assume it never started. We assume it never started just because it hasn't happened. And that's why one of the disciplines of a believer is to take the word of God and leave it like that. Just take God's word. Just one minute, Once he has said it, just say amen. And know one thing for sure, it is working. Know one thing for sure, it is working. No one uses the expression a lot of time, it's working. What we mean is that, uh, look at the testimony. No, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say it's working, is this. The healing process has started. And one day, it will be fully manifested. You know, one thing Jesus said, he said, if you, whatever you ask the Father, believe you have, now this is how most of us read it, believe you have received and you shall have it. Now, there's some truth in that. But actually, when I read it again, one day I looked at it. His, what literal Greek says, believe you receive. That's what he said. He didn't say, believe you have received. He said, believe you receive. Now, that expression does not ex- exist in English language. So after reasoning about it, and I, see, I saw the other things that Jesus said, what he actually said is that, believe that 
it is coming. That the Father has granted it. Do you get my point? And you are going to see it. It's a process he was describing. So this is how I said, believe you are receiving it. That's the best way I find in English. Even though that one is a bit awkward also, but it's the best way I find in English. And if you realize it, that expression like that, if you can understand what I'm trying to say, you find out that holding on to faith is not as difficult. Because those days, you say, like, oh, believe you're already healed. Believe you're already healed. And people say, oh, but I'm still feeling the pain. I hope you're getting my point. What was Jesus saying? Believe. Let me, let, me, let me spread it out now. That God heard you. I'm using the expression of Daniel, and the angel is on the way. So even though you still feel the pain right now, you understand that, yes, you might feel it for some more time. But this is the word of God. God has already granted the healing. It will work a process in you, and eventually it will be fully, now this is the Bible expression, it will be fully perfected. Perfecting the Bible means that that which exists in the realm of the spirit has become fully manifested for everybody to see. I hope you're getting my point here. So John Austin said, keep this, uh, the switch of faith turned on. Jesus said, don't be afraid, keep on believing. That's the amplified rendering there. He told that man, the one that came to see him, Jairus, don't be afraid, keep on believing. By the time he was saying that the girl was still dead at home. But told the father, don't be afraid, just keep on believing. We will get there. And he got there, the girl was still dead. He now entered, took a few of his uh, disciples with him, said to the little girl, little girl, I say unto you, arise. If that man did not do what Jesus said, that girl would have been buried. He had to keep the, faith, the, seed of faith, the switch of faith turned on until they got to that particular point. Now let's get back to what we're reading. I don't feel like, I just feel like talking about it again. If, even if you have an addiction, you have an addiction, this is the medicine that God is giving you today. Keep these words on your lips. Write them all around you. Don't let one, which was the one dose of a drug, change your mind. Because you declared it yesterday, and today you see I had the craving, and you fell for the craving. Keep the switch of faith, what? Turned on. It's so important. So you see Paul here speaking in past tense. Because what God does is first done in the realm of the spirit, before the physical begins to manifest. How do we win our victory? Which verse were we in? Huh? Yes. Uh, let's read from verse um, 7 now. He said, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Everybody say that. I died with Christ. I, Christ. I have been set free from the power of sin. I died with Christ. My old man died with Christ. I have been set free. From the power of sin. He now said, and we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Jesus was raised from the dead. And he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourself to be dead to sin. To, dead to the power of sin. And alive to God through Christ Jesus. If you notice from verse 12, and for me, this is so important. 
He said, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. I will stop reading here. Now, why did he say this? And this is what I'm reading from it. He's saying that if you do what we have said, believe this word, declare this word, you will discover that now you have the power to say no. That's what God does for Christians. Let me quickly add this one to it. Then you start exercising the power. Are you getting my point? What about exercise? Every opportunity you have, you refuse. Knowing that next time, you know, let me say something about exercise as an example. When you say exercise, exercise. Ask those who do exercise. Now, <laughs> if you ever go to the gym, you see people carrying, you know, those dumbbells, those uh, barbells, that's what they call them, those big discs. They pack two here, pack two here, then they carry it. Don't try to. What did I say? Don't try it. The first I started going to the gym in Enugu, on the, the way we arrived, the, 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 the instructor gave us the empty bar. So I should carry the empty bar ten times. Like, ah, oh God, this is not work now. Just push this empty bar ten times. Thank God he did that. Because after pushing it ten times and doing three reps, your muscles began to ache. And it was an empty bar. Just toss the bar. The bar. Next time we came, he put 10 pounds here, 10 pounds here. Push that one 10 times. Then the time came, we arrived. That big one is 45. He put 45 here, 45 here. Push it 10 times. You do three reps like that. Then I started adding 10 here, 10 here. Then one day I traveled, I came. One of my, the, my, the pastor that we used to go together. He said, Pastor B, I pushed two, two once. It was not one day. Now, why do we keep on going back? This is what I'm making. We know that tomorrow will be better than today. Are you getting my point? We know we will not die. When it says you should exercise yourself for the purpose of godliness, it's the same thing. Just know that every little victory you win today will make tomorrow, tomorrow's own easier. So don't be in a hurry to win the biggest victory. Start with small, small things. Knowing that it is exercising you for the bigger one. But first of all, remember one thing. You have won already. You are not trying to win. If you are a believer, you have been set free from the bondage of sin. You have been set free from... Listen, there is no reason on... And let me quickly say this. Don't, as much as you can, don't give in to anyone you can handle. Don't say, hey, um, uh, I'll leave it till later. Anytime you fall... You, str- you make it more difficult next time. Remember, before I went to the gym, let me just say something maybe many of us did not know. The number of muscle fibers you have does not change. Have you seen Arnold Schwarzenegger? Who are the guys running Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is those generations. Do people still watch things like that these days? When I was young, we used to watch that too. We knew people like Arnold, we knew Lee Hanning, we used to watch them. My wife says these guys look ugly. Me, we thought they looked fantastic. You know, all the rippling muscles. So those big guys and the newborn baby, they have the same number of muscle fibers. Yes. What am I going to say? Potentially, I'm as big as Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the difference is whether I will exercise my muscle. He is not more muscular if we were to count muscle fibers than me. He's not. He doesn't have more muscle fibers than I have. 
In the same manner, the most victorious Christian does not have more muscle fibers than the least victorious one. The difference is what? Exercise. What am I going to say? Just know that you already have all the muscles. Somebody say amen. amen. Why? Because in Christ Jesus you have been delivered. I don't know, today my mind is just speaking to those who are under the bondage of addiction to one thing or the other. Let me say it like this. You have been set free. Amen. Let's rise up to prayer. Please, everybody, let's just rise up. I want us to, because like I said, how do we win? We declare the word into our environment. Let's start with thanksgiving. Just say, Lord, I thank you because you have granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Yeah, let's begin with that. Give thanks. Because he has given everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has given his magnificent promises so that through them we become partakers of the divine nature. He has given his magnificent promises. I want you to give him thanks. Give him thanks on the bottom of your heart. I want us to just thank God. Say, Lord, thank you because we are free. Whether you are in bondage to any addiction or, the, or, the, or, 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 or not, give thanks with everybody. Let's give thanks as a body. Say, Lord, I thank you because as believers in Christ Jesus, we have been set free. Lord, I thank you because as believers in Christ Jesus, we, we. Now, the reason why we are saying we now is that you may not be going through that kind of you know, problem at this season, but I wanted to identify with those who are going through it. And give thanks for them also. Say, Lord, I, I thank you because we have been set free in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you because you have packaged all your provisions in your promises. Thank you because these promises are magnificent, Peter said. And through them, we are becoming partakers of the divine nature. Through them, we are becoming partakers of the divine nature. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. I want you to give thanks. Say, Lord, I thank you. Because our old body of sin has been nailed to the cross. Our old body of sin has been nailed to the cross. That is, that body is ours. The body of sin. The body that was subject to Satan. The body that was subject to the bondage to sin. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been buried with Christ Jesus in baptism. It's been buried with Christ Jesus. Let's give the Lord thanks because because of that, we are no longer in bondage to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Let's thank him because of what he has done. We're not thanking God for our experience, personal experiences, no. We are thanking God because of what he did in Christ Jesus. That he died for all. Thank the Lord Jesus for he died for all of us. To set us free. Some people are in bondage to the fear of tomorrow. Today that, that's broken also. It's broken also. Bondage to the fear of tomorrow. Making people make all kinds of crazy decisions. Making people make all kinds of crazy decisions. That is broken also. That is broken also today. Because you, have been, you are no longer a slave to sin. That old body has been nailed to his cross. Give the Lord thanks for that. Thank him for everything. Just with giving thanks. Declare that I have the ability to walk in godliness. Yeah, begin to declare that. 
You remember, we are sowing the word of God into our environment. That word has life. Begin to declare it. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not in bondage to sin. I am not a slave to sin. I am not enslaved to addiction. Satan does not have power over me. This body is subject to me. I put it under. I, have, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the provision of God. I can live above sin. Sin has no dominion over me. Anger has no dominion over me. The works of the flesh do not have dominion over me. Because I have been set free in Christ Jesus. The things of this world do not have dominion over me. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they do not have dominion over me. Because in Christ Jesus, I have been set free. Declare your freedom in Christ Jesus. I walk in righteousness. I walk in holiness of the truth. I walk in righteousness. I have control over this mortal body. Therefore, I say, sin will not reign in my mortal body. Put those words in your mouth. Sin will not reign in my mortal body. I will not present my members as instruments of unrighteousness. I speak to my body. You are not an instrument of unrighteousness. You are not an instrument of sin. You are not an instrument of violence. You are not an instrument of sexual immorality. You are not an instrument of anything that does not glorify God. I speak to my body. You are not an instrument of sin. You are not an instrument of righteousness. James said, with this tongue, we set everything on course. I set a a course for righteousness in my life. I set a course for righteousness. I say, I am not a slave to sin. Therefore, I, I refuse to yield my members. I speak to my members. You are not yielded to sin. You are a slave of righteousness. I speak to you, my head, my neck, all my body down to my toes. You are a slave of righteousness. You are a slave of Christ Jesus. You are not a slave to sin. The old flesh has been crucified with Christ. My spirit is alive. I am alive in God. I am alive in God, therefore I have lordship over my body. If you have any form of addiction, begin to address it now. Say, addiction, break in Jesus' name. I break you. I break, even if you don't have any, just speak like I'm speaking. And you are joining your faith with that of other people. Just say, addiction will break you by the power of Christ Jesus. By the power of the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, we break addiction to drugs, addiction to cigarettes. Cigarettes. There are those who are addicted to smoking. We break that addiction in the name of Jesus. We say sin will not have dominion over this body. We speak to the body of every believer fellowshipping with us this evening. We say you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit destroys every negative influence. Addiction to drugs be broken now in the name of Jesus. No matter how strong it is, the altered part of the brain, I speak to it now, be corrected. I speak to it now, be corrected. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak to it now, be corrected. I speak to it now, be corrected. Say, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to righteousness. I want you to say that at least seven times. I am dead to sin, I'm alive to righteousness. 
I am dead to sin. I am alive to righteousness. Dead to sin. Alive to righteousness. The qualities of Christ in me, they are increasing. I walk in the spirit. I do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I walk in love. I walk in faith. I have patience. I have self-control. I have self-control. I have self-control. By the promises of God, I have godliness. Oh, just continue to declare it. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to righteousness. We're still praying. Let's continue in that declaration. Continuing to declare that you are alive to righteousness. You can do. Your spirit is alive, alive to God, alive to please the Lord. Please, let's continue to make that declaration. I am dead to sin. I am alive to righteousness. I can please God. I've been empowered to please the Lord. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Sin shall not have dominion over me. I am in control in the name of Jesus. Open your mouth and declare. Continue to declare. I have the power to say no. I have the power to say no. I have the power to say no. I have the power to resist that urge. In the name of Jesus, I have the power to resist that urge. Continuing to declare. The power of God is released unto you now. You have the power. God is infusing his power to say no to that urge. God is releasing his power for you to say no. Continue that declaration. Say, Lord, sin indeed shall not have dominion over me. Sin shall not have dominion over me. I have power to say no. I have the power to say no. I walk in righteousness. I walk in righteousness. I bring every evil thought under the under captivity. I bring every evil thought under the power and lordship of Jesus. I think like Christ. I think like Christ. Evil thoughts shall not have dominion over me. Evil thoughts shall not have dominion over me. In the name of Jesus, declare. Take two minutes more and declare that. Say to God, I receive strength. I receive grace to walk in righteousness. I receive grace to please the Lord. I receive grace to please the Lord. Let that be your declaration. I love righteousness and I hate iniquity. My love for righteousness. I see it manifest in the name of Jesus. I see my love for righteousness manifest. I don't just give mental assent to it. I truly love righteousness and I walk in righteousness. Yes. My hatred for iniquity has intensified. Every part of my body responds to the, to the love of righteousness. Every part of my body conforms to that love for righteousness. Every part of my body. 
My mind conforms. My eyes, my ears. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise. Blessed be God. Thank you, Lord, for your word again. Can you take one minute and with everything that is within you, give the Lord thanks. And say, Lord, thank you, Lord, for reassurance. Thank you, Lord, for empowerment. Thank you, Lord. Let, that, let thanksgiving arise to the Lord if you are sure that the Lord has heard your prayers. Truly give him thanks. And say, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you have paid in full. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we have power to walk in righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you settled it on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you are patient with us. Thank you. Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful. We give you praise forever. Lord, we again, we cherish these words and all we can say is thank you. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that ability to believe in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for those who got instant miracles. Because, you know, like Pastor was saying, there are people whose addiction got broken instantly. You, you, You look back for five months down the line, and that urge will no longer be there. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the people who are in the process of breaking their addiction. Thank you, Lord, for that process. Thank you, Lord, because that process will be completed in the name of Jesus. Father, we just give you praise, for you are the one walking in us. Complete that work that you're doing in us. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Say, praise the name of Jesus. Now we share the grace in fellowship. One, two, three, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of under the cursings.